Well, good morning. I want to start off by saying thanks to the leadership of this church for giving me an opportunity to, to talk to you all this morning. And just ask you guys to pray for me, too. I, you know, I, I've uh, spoke in front of a lot of people before and do a lot of public speaking and stuff like that. And I'll be honest with you, it never really bothers me. I don't ever really get nervous, but, you know, I was tossing and turning most of the night last night uh, in preparation for getting here today. And I think it's, uh, you know, I'm not nervous about speaking this morning. I'm nervous about getting it right. You know, I really want to uh, get across to you what God's laid up on my heart this morning and hope that you understand it because, you know, as it's been mentioned here this morning a few times, we, uh, we had a great year here at Golden Corner in 2015. You know, we had a wonderful year, but we need 2016 to be that much better. And I really feel like that's what God's, uh, you know, put on my heart to share with you this morning. It's been mentioned here already, but, uh, you know, Tim was talking about Christmas and uh, you know, what it meant, meant to him and, you know, having his young daughter there this year. And, you know, Christmas to me has always been uh, really special. I'm a kind of a Christmas junkie, I guess. Uh, I just really enjoy it. I get into it and usually buy away too much, too, you know, too much stuff and, and just get into the whole spirit and thing. And I like to go look at Christmas lights and I've even made some cupcakes. So if that makes me a big sissy, I guess I'm just a big Christmas sissy or whatever. But, but uh, I was kind of had my feelings hurt this year. I took my Santa Claus cupcakes to a Christmas dinner. Nobody ate the dang things. So I, I finished out about 40 of them myself. And uh, don't want to waste food, you know. So, But I just enjoy it. You know, I think back, you know, so much happens in life, and you get bogged down with so many different things. But it's just great around Christmas because everybody just kind of seems to come together. You know what I'm saying? Family gets back together, people you haven't seen in a long time. And for so many years, for me, uh, you know, being in the Marine Corps and being gone, being in the military, that was a time of year to come home and, and uh, catch up with, you know, cousins and f- friends and grandparents and family and stuff like that. So I just, I just enjoy it. So I hope, uh, saying all that, I hope that you had uh, as much joy uh, this Christmas season as I did. And I really hope that uh, during all that, uh, you, you made it a point to keep Christ at the center of it. That was really uh, my main goal with my family this year was to try our very best uh, to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. And it was, and as you know, it can be challenging. We've let uh, the commercial side of it kind of creep into everything we do, it seems like. So it can be challenging. Um, I wanted to also touch on the service last week. That was great to hear that we had 100 guests here last week. And, I, you know, we've been here, my family and I have been here for coming up on two years. And, you know, I kind of still feel like a guest sometimes myself, you know, trying to work in. I know a lot of you have been here a long time. Uh, and all of you know each other very well. But it's great to hear that we had that many people here last week. Uh, and, and what a service it was. I, I wanted to just touch on that and talk about how, you know, not only did we talk about the birth of Christ last week, but what I really loved about what they did was they talked about the death and resurrection as well. Because, honestly, what, you know, that's the most important part, is making sure that we touch on the resurrection. And with that being said, that's really where I want to pick up this morning and kind of get started it's talking about what took place after that. Uh, I want to ask you a question, and that question is, how many of you this morning are happy with the world the way it is right now? You know, I, I think about it, and, and, and you know, I thought about it all week this week and, and looking into you know, the way the state of the, the world and the way things are really in our nation. And I think we'd all agree that things have gradually declined and took, took a turn for the worse. You know, it's hard, to, it's hard these days to... Sit down with your family and watch TV. 
you know, even on public television, that's what's been such a, of a shock to me, I think, is the fact that you, you can't turn on a public television channel anymore without seeing just almost pornography, you know, all sorts of foul language, and who knows what else is going to come up on the screen. And, and it's just really a shock to see the way that, that our nation has started to decline and the way things, that, uh, the way things are going, not just in the world, but in, in our own country, a country that still claims to be a Christian nat- nation. We've let these things creep in and slowly start to take over. So if we agree on that, if we can agree this morning that things have took a turn for the worse and that we're not real happy with the way things are, I've got some good news. Because I'm going to talk this morning about how we as a group, us together, we can change that. We can change this world that we live in today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 8. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to kind of set the scene a little bit of what's taking place early in Acts. And if you're if you're looking for a book to read in the Bible, honestly, I've got to say, Acts is one of my favorites. Acts is really a good place to get in and kind of figure out what was happening early on. It's, uh, it's very, it's, you can't turn the page in, in, in the book of Acts without going into some other story or, or finding out how the church was developed and all the things that were taking place. Acts is a very good book to get into. We see many things happen early in the book of Acts. At the very start the book, Christ reaffirms his promise to, follow, to his followers that he's going to be there with them. More importantly, he explains to them in verse 5 that soon they'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now we've got, you know, Christ has died, he's came back, he's spoken to his followers, but now he's telling them, hey, I'm not going to leave you here, I'm going back to heaven. I've told you that. But I'm going to leave somebody here with you called the Holy Spirit. Something that's going to guide you along the way and help you in this journey. In chapter 2, the church is born. Now some of my favorite scriptures is right here in Acts 2, in verses 42 through 47. I'm going to read them to you. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I highlighted a couple things in there. All the believers were together. They all had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. They got rid of what they had to take care of those in need. And they did it with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added... But not only did he add, he didn't add numbers. He added those being saved daily. I think that's very important to note. Here's a church. Here's our very beginning of the church. Here's what it looks like in the very beginning. It's a group of people coming together, loving the Lord, happy, rejoicing. They're doing it together. They're all of one common goal and one common heart, and that's to spread the word of Christ to a a, a lost world, to help those people find salvation. They're doing it together with sincere hearts. They mean what they're doing. They're not just walking and going through the motions, but they truly mean it. They mean what they do, and they do what they say. And because of them doing that, God's adding to them daily. But I put in bold, they're not just, he's not just sending people into the homes and adding numbers to the church. He's saving people daily. How would we react if we saw people come into this church each and every day and get saved? How great would that be? To do that, I often wonder, you know, What's going on in our churches today? What do we need to do? We might just need to look back to the past, look back at the first church, 
and try to do it a little bit more like they did. In chapters 4 and 5, we see the church begin to go out and minister. They're going out to minister to the people. And then we see a turn in chapter 6 and 7. In chapter 6 and 7, we see the death of Stephen, the first to be martyred. So let's look back on those first seven chapters, and let's think about it for a moment. It's, kind of a, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride up to this point. You know, the early Christians have, you know, they were, they were, Jesus was here. And he's walking on the earth. He's, you know, God on earth. He's doing all sorts of miracles and, 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 and spreading the word and love and joy. And then, you know, at that point, I, I would say that, that the believers are at a, at a high point in life. But then he's crucified. He's beaten. You know, kind of a low point. I, you know, I, I think back to those moments. I think about, uh, you know, Christ being crucified and what took place there. And, I, I, you know, my goodness, I, I cannot imagine. I can't begin to imagine as a follower of Jesus. One, him being here and walking with me side by side and teaching me one-on-one. But then to, to, to go and see my Lord, my God, being beaten and stabbed and spit on and then hung on a cross. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how I would have reacted to that. I know what it does to me now, thousands of years removed. And it stirs something inside of me, a little bit of anger, a little bit of sadness. I, I don't know. But to imagine that, to be there as a follower of Christ, I would think that, that it would just destroy me to see him hung on the cross. So I would say that's probably a pretty low point for our other early believers. But then, just like he said he would do three days later, just like we talked about last week, he comes back. He comes back. So we're back at a high point. You know, Christ is back. He's walking with me. He's talking with me. He's telling me everything that, that, you know, everything's coming to fruition that he talked about. He's doing what he said he was going to do. You know, it's just reaffirming that faith, I think, for me. And now we start to see in chapter 6 and 7 how the the church is formed. They're starting to go out and they're starting to do the work of, of God. And now they're being killed. They're being hunted. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 says this. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him, talking to Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So I want to make two points right here before we move on. One, I want to say I just want to thank God that we do not have to, we don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. We live in a country that's great enough where we can come in here and we can worship. We don't have to worry about being stoned to death and persecuted and drug off to jail when we leave here. Nobody's going to show up at our door tonight and knock on the door and take us to prison because we came to church this morning. I want us to all be mindful and thankful of that. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that we live in a nation that way because there's many of them that are not. You know, Christianity is still illegal in China and much of the world. You can go to prison for, for even worshiping, for going into a home and, and talking about God. But other than that, I want to look at this right here, and, and I'm going to make a couple points from this, but I want us to remember this and pay attention to it as we move forward and keep this in mind. If you look down at, at, at verse 1 there when it begins, toward the middle it says, and all except the apostles were scattered. So in other words, everybody except the preachers left. The preachers stayed. And then they went out through Judea and Samaria. The apostles stayed. The church or the disciples or us, we left. Okay? We see back in Acts 1.8 that Jesus tells his followers in 1.8, he says, You shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's some people that will argue that, that Jesus at that point is speaking specifically to the apostles about the Holy Spirit. I think if we look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and then later on I'll show you again that he's speaking to all of us. The Holy Spirit is going to be with all of us, and it's with you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you each and every day as you move forward, as you face the world. So, in other words, the church is spreading the word, not the preachers. I want to make that clear at this point. The church is out spreading the word of Christ. So we've made it to chapter 8, and this is really kind of where I want to get started and I want to pick up. If we look at chapter 8, we're going to kind of jump down to verse 26. But we see here a man named uh, Philip who is moving about uh, through the countryside. He's been told to go, and he goes. And as he's moving along, he comes across a eunuch who's traveling uh, from Ethiopia up into Jerusalem to worship. He's traveling about, but... If you pay attention to the story, the eunuch doesn't really know why he's going. He just, he's going seeking some truth. The first point I want to make this morning is we've got to be aware. We've got to be aware of our surroundings and what's taking place around us so that we can spread the word of God. We can spread Jesus' word. The church is now moving about. Like I said, they're being persecuted. Bad things are taking place, but they're still out there working for Jesus. If we're going to have a good 2016 at Golden Corner Church, if we're going to change the situation that we live in in this world and change things in our country, we've got to get to work. We've got to get to work for Christ. Just like we did last week, if we had 100 people in here last week, we should strive to have 100 people in here this week and 150 next week. And we can do that. we just got to work together. Let's look here. In uh, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candate, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I want to point this out. Holy Spirit is with Philip. Now, when I first read this many times through, I am assuming that Philip is speaking of Philip the apostle, but it's not. The Philip that the scripture is talking about here is Philip the deacon. We know this from Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, where it says, And it was said that it would please the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Okay? So when Philip was sent out, and we, and we mentioned earlier that the apostles stayed, right? So now the apostles have stayed, the others have spread, the church. So now we've got Philip here that's going out and doing the work of God, and the Spirit is with him. Because the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot. And stay near it. And what did he do? He did what the Spirit told him. I believe that God supernaturally appoints time and places for us as believers to spread the news about Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. I think as Christians, we should be obedient. We should seize any opportunity that we have to tell others about Jesus, regardless of their race, nationality, and I put in highlight here, or religion of those we meet. I think it can be intimidating sometimes to try to speak to others of other religion about Jesus. But you and I believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. So we've got to be ready and we've got to be aware of opportunities. So what just happened here? Philip heard God. Philip heard God and he listened and he acted. Sounds pretty simple. He wasn't too busy. He wasn't too caught up in the circumstances around him. 
And let us remember how crazy things are in the church right now. Things are going nuts. They're getting stoned to death and captured and, and, and killed and everything else. But he was still willing and able to listen to what the Spirit told him to do. I think uh, too many times we've gotten too busy to notice or even to realize that the opportunity is right in front of us. We've let the world that we lived in take over and control everything we do. You know, we were sitting several weeks ago now, maybe a month or two ago, and my wife, my kids, and I, we were all sitting around. We are doing a devotional in the evening. And it started talking about witnessing and opportunities and paying attention and just being quiet and listening. And, you know, I sat there at the end of that day, and I finished that devotional, and the kids went to bed, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, good grief. And, and, and I just started thinking back over the day, and it was like God was laying it out in front of me. He said, I gave you this opportunity, and I gave you this opportunity, and this opportunity. And I, I got to like four or five chances that day that he had given me to share him with other people. But I was too wrapped up in what I was doing, and I was too busy to even notice it, and I just let it go right past me. And I, I felt like he was smacking me in the head saying, hey, what are you doing? What are you waiting on? I'm giving you every chance to go out and talk about me and share me with others and change their lives. But you're not doing it. You know, here I am... Uh, I just got through giving a lesson to my two kids, my two boys, about you know, how to witness and what they're doing, and I'm not doing it myself. I wasn't paying attention. We've got to pay attention. We have to pay attention. We have to be aware, and we have to take advantage of these opportunities. So the first thing we have to do this morning is we have to be aware. Second thing we need to do is be ready. Look at Acts chapter 8 again, verses 30 through 35. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot. And heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the unit was reading. It reads. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip. This is important. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. We have to be ready. Here we see the eunuch, he's left Ethiopia, he's traveling to Jerusalem, making this great journey to try to find truth. God takes the opportunity to put Philip in his way as he's traveling along, just out in the middle of nowhere. This chariot's moving about, and Philip hears the eunuch reading the Scripture. The Spirit tells him to stay there, so he listens and he does it. He does what he's told. He's aware of the situation. He's aware of the opportunity. But then he was ready. He was ready. God gave him the opportunity. The eunuch invites him in, and Philip gets up in the chariot, and and then the, the most important thing happens. He says, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? I've never heard this before. What is this? What am I reading? And then he asks Philip. He says, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? How many times have we come across people that are just in desperate desire and need for the truth? How often do we see that in day-to-day life? How many people do you come across that are seeking that opportunity for you to tell them the truth? We have to be ready. Philip began with the very passage that he was talking about of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. God's Word is a powerful tool. We've got to use it when we're sharing the gospel message. Believers should not know the scripture only for their spiritual growth, but they also need to know it to use as a witnessing tool. Philip was given that opportunity, and he knew it, and he was ready. He didn't hesitate. 
Many times we have just a, a fleeting moment to share his word. He didn't hesitate. He took advantage of that opportunity. He didn't say, let me get back to you. He didn't ask for help. He didn't call somebody else in to help him. He knew the answer, and he took advantage of the chance that was laid out before him. You know, we've all heard the saying, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. I'm asking you this morning, and I'm going to say to you this morning, that I want you to be the master of one. And what I mean by that is I want you to find some scripture. I want you to find your piece of scripture that pertains to you, that changed you, that the one that stands out to you the most. And I want you to master that piece of scripture one at a time. I want you to read your whole Bible, but I want you to master one piece of scripture at a time. Look at it from every angle. Really try to dissect it and find out what it means. And then more importantly, I want you to find out how you can apply that to different situations in life. You know, one of my jobs when I was in the Marine Corps was a recruiter. Uh, one of the first things you do when you get out there is you, you, you start meeting these young men and women and you try to put them in the military. Well, I didn't realize, I really didn't, but there's over 400 job choices just in the Marine Corps to join the military, 400, 400 different jobs that you can do. Well, I only knew about one. I'd only ever done one. So I started meeting all these young men and women that are asking me about being aviation mechanics and all these other things, and I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue how to explain it to them or talk them into it or any of that kind of stuff. Now, keep in mind, this is early 2000s, 2003 time frame, you know, and I thought going out there that, hey, this is going to be easy because 9-11 just happened and everybody's super patriotic and I'll be able to put people in like crazy. Well, you know, I think we'll all remember that when the dust settled after 9-11, a lot of the flags started coming back down. A lot of that patriotism went away. And then when you meet a young 18-year-old man or woman in high school that have never even thought about joining the military and you start talking to them about going to combat, because that was a real thing at that time, uh, it makes it kind of difficult to sell them on that. So I had to think about it. You know, if I get a young guy in there and he's talking about being an aviation mechanic, what do I do? I don't know anything about that. So I, chose, I, I decided to do this. I explained to him how to be a Marine first. I talked to him about what I knew about. I talked to him about being the big picture, if you will. The big picture was being in the Marine Corps. It didn't have anything to do with being an aviation mechanic or, uh, you know, explosive ordnance disposal or any of that other stuff. It was the big picture. The big picture was to be a Marine. We got to do that with our scripture. The big picture about what we're trying to do here is being a Christian. They're going to have a thousand questions. People are going to ask you all sorts of things. You've got to be able to point them back to one place. And that one place is Jesus. Just like Philip did here in the scripture, he could have went off on a tangent. You know, Philip didn't jump into uh, some sort of theological debate, debate with this guy. He didn't uh, try to go into some sort of deep conversation. He just simply took the scripture that was laid out before him, and he pointed that scripture back to Christ. And we can do that with, with, with scripture all throughout the Bible. You've got to know what it is to be a Christian. You've got to be able to explain that to the non-believer when they ask you the questions. Let's talk to them about being Christians. Let's talk to them about accepting Jesus. Let's leave the rest of it alone for later. Let's take advantage of that opportunity when we have it. And then the third thing I, I wanted to talk to you about was, and, and this is kind of funny, I guess it was to me anyway, but I came up with be aware, be ready. I couldn't come up with anything for this one, so I just put be inviting. I don't really know what that means other than we got to ask them. We got to ask them to come in. We got to ask them to accept Christ. And tell them the good news, we should be unafraid to ask boldly for a response because ultimately God draws people to himself. It's got nothing to do with us. You know, why are we so afraid to ask somebody if they're ready to accept Christ? I thought about that, and I was like, you know, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, I used to feel this way, and sometimes I still do. I, I feel like when I ask somebody and they say no, that I failed. I take it personally. I did something wrong. 
like I was witnessing wrong. Really, the only way to witness wrong is if you don't do it. You've got to share the word. But if you don't share the word and if you don't ask them, most of the time they're not ever going to accept. We have to remember that we're only helping to set the tone to make the introduction. The Holy Spirit is who is truly in control. We've got to be asking. You know, I mentioned just a second ago, we've got, you know, I'm asking these young men and women to join the Marine Corps and there's a war going on. You know, I want you to leave high school, leave mom and dad, and I want you to go over to some other country and get shot at. So if you imagine, we had to ask quite a bit to get the numbers that we need, all right? Sometimes, some guys, it took them, you know, 50, 60, 70 times asking somebody, hey, are you ready to join the Marine Corps? And they get a whole bunch of, you know, 69 no's, and then on the 70th 70th trial, you get a yes. You know, we got to take that same type of attitude into inviting people to church, into trying to get people and lead people to the Lord. Ask them. Ask them. If they say no, what's it matter? They weren't going to come anyway. Right? We got to be willing. We got to be ready. We got to be closing, if you will, trying to close for Christ. Look at the rest of the scripture, verses uh, 36 through 39. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So what just happened here? A man, Philip, somebody who was chosen because he was a believer, because he was a follower, because he loved the Lord, was given a command to leave. He was fleeing, basically, because he was being persecuted. The church was being just, you know, thrown, thrown about. He was aware of his situations as he was moving along, and he was given an opportunity to witness to a total stranger. When he was given that opportunity, he was ready to do it. He knew the scripture. He knew what he wanted to say, and he pointed that person back to Jesus. And then ultimately, this man was saved and accepted Christ. And to show that he has accepted Christ, he wants to know, hey, I, I love Jesus. I accept him as my Savior. What's getting in the way of me being baptized? And Philip basically says, nothing, man. Let's go get down in the water. And they do. And he goes down and he's baptized. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be willing. And we've got to be invited. We've got to be doing these things if we want to have a good year. Again, we had 100 people here last week. We need to have 100 next week when we come back in here. I wrote some numbers down and I wanted to share with you a few more things before I close. But what if I told you there were 69,000, roughly, new believers in Christ each day? When I first saw that, I was pretty excited about that. 69,000 a day is a pretty big number. But according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, around 340,000 people are born every day. Around 145,000 people die each day. So that means that the world's population increases by nearly 200,000 people every day. So we can be happy that 69,000 each day are being saved. But that still means that nearly one-fifth of those being born every day never accept Christ. That's a pretty big number. I wanted to point out, too, that only Jesus can change lives. Many people have never heard the good news. Did you realize that the United States has the fourth largest unreached population in the world, in the United States of America? I know that's hard for us to believe, especially here in the South, where uh, I think I looked at it this morning, I tried to remember, but it was somewhere around 18 miles for me to get here. And I stopped counting how many churches I passed before I got here, from six miles a year. And that's back roads. There's churches everywhere. How can we not be telling people about Jesus? 
But we're the fourth largest unreached population in the world. That was amazing to me. We must be using every opportunity to share Jesus and support and encourage the people who are out doing it throughout the world. Now, not everybody's going to respond the same way that this man did in this story. Some are going to want to think about it. Others are going to reject that witness. But when the Spirit is working, when the Holy Spirit is there and the circumstances of that person's life are such that they are ready, they will eagerly believe and accept Christ. Sometimes we simply just have to plant the seed and pray for the harvest to come in God's timing. And then I wanted to say, too, don't give up on anyone. You know, I've, I've set out sometimes and I've had people in mind that, that I really wanted to see a change in their life and that really laid on my heart. And I started praying and I started asking. And then I got told no time and time and time again. And I invited the church over and over and over and over. And I didn't see anything happen in that person's life. And I'll admit, my, my prayers slowed down. My, my attempts to get them to come here slowed down and have slowed down. But it's never too late. We've got to stop looking at it that way. I think back on my life, and I wonder how many times my grandmother hit her knees and prayed for me. I wonder how many times I was invited to church and told people no. I, don't, I can't even imagine, but I did it quite often. I had people in my life that were witnessing to me and trying to change things for me, and I kept turning them down and rejecting them. But they never gave up. They kept asking. If we give up on them, they will never change. But as a faithful witness, the Lord can and use you, and he will use you to reach others, even everybody that's, or those that have rejected Christ previously. So I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think, when and where did you receive Jesus as your Savior? What were some of the people, or who were some of the people who influenced you in making that decision? And how did you, or how did God use those people to invite you to respond to his grace? Think of those things. And then ask yourself, what does this teach me? You know, most of the time, we tend to hang out with people that are like us, you know? And you tended, uh, you, you probably hung out with people before you were saved that were like you back then before you accepted Christ. So ask yourself, hey, of my old friends that are still out there doing things the wrong way, what can I do to reach them? What affected me? Who was it? What was said? What was done that made me change my heart and accept Christ? And then go out and try to do those things, same things with them. And in closing, I want to mention one more thing, but I wanted to talk to you about my attempt uh, to change things. Uh, some of you know that I work for a nonprofit now, and, and throughout the week, on a large, uh, a large portion of our time is spent with you know, homeless veterans and those that are dealing with uh, you know, substance abuse and, and different things of that nature. So when I got started in this, you know, I was all excited and, and, and ready to go out and change everybody's life. So I started meeting homeless veterans, and I started meeting these guys and trying to, and just really looking at the surface of the problem, and I decided, hey, I'm going to change things for this, these people. And I got a couple guys in mind that I was thinking of uh, that right off the bat, I found them a job, and I found them a place to stay, and I was really excited about what was taking place, only to find out that a few months went by, and they were right back in the same situation they were in. Because I did one thing wrong. I put that word I in front of everything I was doing. I didn't put God in front of everything I was doing. I stopped asking him the direction he wanted me to go in, and I started going in my own direction. I started coming up with solutions for my, the problems for myself without asking him what the solutions were for the problem. And if we're not careful, we'll do that on a day-to-day basis when we go out and we try to witness with these people. We've got to keep God in our plans. We try to be the decision makers far too often of who puts things together and who plans things for other people's lives. So let's be aware. Let's be ready. Let's not make it personal. 
if we ask people to Christ and they don't accept. But let's get out there and let's witness and let's share the word of God. I want to do one thing. Uh, I want to ask you to do one thing. And I've, I've never done this, so please bear with me. But I want you to think right now of somebody in your life. Somebody that's close to you. I know we all have somebody that God has laid on your heart. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you want to, even come down here this morning if you'd like. And just hit your knees and ask God to help you. Help God open up an opportunity in your life to share his son with these people. And more than that, I want you to ask God to open up their hearts and their minds when that opportunity comes around. I want you to ask God to invite the Holy Spirit in to that situation. To take you out of that situation and to put the Holy Spirit in your place. And to do, let you be nothing more than a vessel that shares God's word with that person. So I want you to think of that person as I close this in prayer and ask God to share his message of his son with those people in their lives. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity this morning. God, I hope that it, it helped someone as much as it helped me, Lord. I, I've got people in my life, dear God, that I've quite frankly given up on at times that I love and that you love and that I know and you know are not going to make any changes in their life without you. God, I pray that you would take the names and, and the people that are being thought of here this morning, dear Lord. And God, give the opportunity and set up every situation in a way that would open their hearts, that would open their minds, and would give the opportunity for people to share your son with them so that it would make a difference in their life, so that they'll accept Jesus as their Savior. And God, I hope and pray that, that I didn't forget anything that you wanted me to say here this morning, Lord, and that it'll touch someone. And as we move forward, God, we have a 2016 that will be prosperous. And God, that will please you more than anything at all. Lord, help us take ourselves away from this thing and put you in our place. We're in your son's holy name and pray. Amen. Thank you, Derek. Well, guys, we will be praying for you. Uh, I know each family here, each person here, man, you have somebody that you are that you are thinking about, you know, during that prayer, and somebody that you have been praying for probably for for a long time. And uh, the staff here, we're going to be praying for you, and we're going to be praying that uh, God gives you that opportunity uh, opportunity to witness and to share Jesus with them, and uh, and that and that they'll give us an opportunity. You know, that they'll come and they'll be here and, and that we'll have that opportunity in 2016. Uh, so we were going to be praying for you guys um, just intently this, this week and, and in the weeks to come. We hope you have a great rest of the day and a happy new year. And uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. You're dismissed.